I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star, House of Design, produced and distributed by the team that brings you Convo by Design with another story about design and architecture from the great state of Texas, featuring Sarah Malik Barney, founder of Band Design. <laughs> Sarah is a remarkable talent who brings a number of unique elements to her incredible rise in design. That of a first career in sports and entertainment. She worked for Hollywood powerhouse talent firm CAA, then the Ellen DeGeneres show, and then came home to Austin to launch her design firm, Band Design. Sarah and I talk about her journey and her work, work that's influenced by her Hollywood experience and Texas Roots equally and balanced, which makes her work truly unique. Enjoy this conversation with Sarah, and then catch up on more episodes from both Lone Star House of Design and Convo by Design by subscribing to the podcast so you never miss a single episode. It's really easy. Find the shows everywhere you get your favorite podcasts, or ask your smart device to play Convo by Design podcast, and it will. This is Sarah Malik Barney. It's funny, too, because the first thing I wanted to lead out with is why does somebody go into talent management (laughs) if they want to be a designer? Too soon? Is it too soon for that question? We're really, like, uh, bearing the lead here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Why does someone go into talent management if they want to be a designer? Well, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a designer. You you, re- you really didn't know that? No, I really didn't. I mean, I honestly, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, but um, I always knew I wanted to move to L.A. and work in entertainment. And so I got there as fast as I could and literally moved a week after college graduation. But um, I just kind of like... I'm I'm a kind of like fly by the seat of my pants sort of person. And so I kind of went with whatever um, opportunities were brought my way. But I also, um, when I originally started working in entertainment, I was working in TV production and that was just way too chaotic for me. You know, a job one day, no job the next, hiatus and all that stuff. And I just couldn't, my type A brain couldn't handle that. And so the talent management aspect of it was really attractive to me because um, it was so business forward and I was able to control a lot more of, of what was happening. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it, but it was a lot of personality management for sure. But I think it set me up for dealing with clients. Um, and as a designer, like I joke about this, but it's true. I never knew that that was a job you could have. Like, I didn't even know when I, when I meet like some of my employees, you know, they went to school for interior design and I always think like, how at 18 did you know that's what you wanted to do? I didn't even know you could own a house at 18. Like that wasn't even <laughs> in my wheelhouse of thought, like let alone I could design it to to every inch. So it was just a hobby, like something I did for fun. And then um, once I was, once I realized, oh yeah, this is a job. It's not just like designing women or, you know, rich ladies clutching their pearls, picking out fancy sofas. And it could be something that could be fun and approachable. That's when I realized it could actually be a career and I could make something of it. So that's, I don't know, it's been like a weird evolution, but um, I think talent management and being an agent and dealing with people's careers and lives sort of led me to the path of dealing with people's furniture. <laughs> and and I'm going to get to that in a minute. First, I wanted, so you were, you were with CAA, 
I was. Did you start in the mailroom? Um, I actually started as an assistant and then I moved down to the mailroom, which you have to do once you've actually been promoted, you, they revert you backwards. Yeah. And then I was promoted out of the mailroom and um, became an agent from there. Yeah. Well, I ask because when it comes to project management, which is which is a huge part, probably one of the one of the core competencies of a of a successful designer that project management yeah. element. I don't think there's a better education than starting as an as an agent, especially at CAA, going down to the yeah. mailroom and learning how to deal with people. Well, and not only that, like in in the entertainment industry as a whole, most places require you to work at an agency for at least a year, and there's a reason for that. There's a lot that's thrown your way. And you have to be quick on your feet and deal with a lot of crap you don't want to deal with. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. You, it is a great training ground for any career. And um, I kind of wish it was required for everyone. And I try to it, like educate my employees on that who are all, you know, sub 25 year old. Um, but they don't, they, they don't understand it. And there's really no way for somebody to understand it without being in it. It's kind of like being a parent. You don't get, you don't understand it until you're in it. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of part of it too. What do you think, uh, were the most poignant lessons you learned from that, that you were able to take with you into, into your practice? Well, I think a big part of it is you have to get over yourself and you have to get out of your own way. And sometimes you're going to have to do things you really just don't want to do. Um, sometimes you got to take out the garbage, as I say, and it, your ego is no bigger than the next person's ego. You got to just get over yourself. So I think that was a big part of it because I was doing a lot of things I just didn't want to be doing. No, I don't want to be delivering packages to Julia Roberts house as glamorous as that sounds to me. I felt like that was a waste of my education, but it taught me a lot about humility and, um, grace and just sort of learning all angles of a business um, that I think was really, really important and invaluable and trying to understand kind of what everyone's going through, not just what you're going through. Boy, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. But I think it's lost a lot too. So when you left LA, you went, you went back to Austin. So you're, you're native, yeah. you're, what do you call someone from Austin? An Austinite. Okay. So yeah. you're in, you're a native Austinite. I am. Is that yes. a, is, is that a, is that a rarity? It is. We are like unicorns. It's kind of like in LA when you meet people from LA. It's, um, we are, we are unicorns these days, especially now with the way that the city has grown. Um, and I joke, I mean, like I say, I'm from Austin. My family moved there when I was eight. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only place that's really ever been home. Okay. Fair enough. No, yeah. no, nobody's questioning you on that. That's yeah. uh, you, you can you you could you could claim that. Don't don't push me on this. <laughs> One of the things that I absolutely love, and I and I started doing Lone Star House of Design because I've been doing Convo by Design for seven years. I'm a huge fan of design and architecture, and I have family in Texas. Yeah, and I drive through uh, every year or two. Um, I don't, I don't like to fly. I'm not afraid of it. I just don't like. I the, don't like I, it either. Yeah, I don't like I the don't experience like anymore. And I started, uh, gosh, five or six years ago doing this in earnest. I love driving through Texas. Um, Do you? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it because there's so much you get to see. And what's interesting, and, and what I think most people don't realize from a from a design and architecture standpoint, 
you think of Texas, you think of, you know, Dallas and Houston yeah. and El Paso and San Antonio and Austin, and you think of all these individual cities, but you don't you don't think of them necessarily as design and architecture destinations. Right. Yeah. Austin in particular is a remarkable city. It's one that has one foot in the future and one foot firmly planted in the past. You you save yeah. your iconic architecture. Yeah, it's funny about Austin um, that I say a lot because we see a lot of really ugly homes in Austin. <laughs> and and that's because Austin as a whole is not a very old city. If you're comparing it to even Dallas and Houston, but like places in like New England and even California, Austin's a relatively young city, especially out in the suburbs when, you know, it started to grow and expand. So a lot of the residential architecture outside of the like downtown core is pretty crappy. I mean, it's like, it was stuff that was thrown up in track homes between the sixties and eighties, nineties. And there's a lot of really, really bad design. There's some beauty in some of um, the older architecture, but you're right. I mean, there's some of it. It's like, we're trying to figure out our city identity in a way from an architecture standpoint. It's like, there is so much new, so much that's new. And then there's so much that's sort of like lingering, like, do we hold on to this? Do we not? Um, it's, it is an interesting point of view for it, for sure. Yeah, but I think it's interesting, too, that the first instinct isn't just to to level it. You know, I, I'm, a native Angel- yeah. I'm a native Angelino. I'm a native Angelino. Again, oh, okay. a, a rarity. Um, rarity. But what's interesting about L.A. is the desire just to tear things down and start again. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but I think that it, it says something about a city when it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just hold off. Let's uh, let's not just tear it down because it's old. Um, yeah. Or, or ugly. Let's figure out what we want to put there first. And I think because of that, Austin has developed into an amazing city. Very, very mobile. Yeah. Um, very smart. The downtown area, very pedestrian. Um, and you went to UT, Yeah. I did, yes. Okay. Beautiful campus, by the way. Yeah, I liked it. It was a fun time. <laughs> yeah. And and Austin's a very walkable city. Tell me yeah. ab- tell me about the state of design in Austin right now. Well, Austin, as a lot of people know, is growing at a at like an alarming rate. Um, and Austin itself is set up to be kind of like a medium-sized city. So I think from an infrastructure standpoint, we're, we're sort of struggling because um, the city can't handle the number of people who are coming in from California, New York, Chicago, kind of all over the world for what they say is quality of life. Um, so it's, it's really evolving right now. There's a lot um, there's a lot that's changing and um, there's not like one true look or feel that I think is happening that you see like, I don't know, in Dallas, it's very traditional. And in Houston, it could be very like ranchy Southwestern almost sometimes or Tuscan even. Um, but in Austin, it's, it's, um, it's so unique. And I think, you know, there's the saying, keep Austin weird. And I think there's a lot of weird things happening with design, but in a good way. And I think we have a lot of clients who are open to, trying new things and pushing the boundaries. And I don't necessarily design to be wacky and weird because I do want you to be able to function in the space and love it for a long time and feel classic. Like I want it to feel classic, but 
I think people are willing to take some more design risks um, that we're sort of seeing a little bit more of. Um, and I like that because it's been so one note for so long here. And then now it's finally changing. And I'm, I'm excited about the direction it's going with the influx of new culture. What about the design community? So, I mean, I can't really speak for other cities, but from Austin as a whole, um, it's a small community, but it's funny because every time I, you know, get on Instagram or any social media or whatever, I'm like, oh, I've never heard of that designer before. They're in Austin. That's cool. Like, I just feel like I'm constantly discovering new people. Um, but we are a small community. We do try to network a little bit with each other and, um, and share tips and ideas, but it's, it's kind of similar with other designers in other cities where, you know, you kind of get stuck in your own vortex and you don't really, you know, come up for air all that often. Um, I've found a small little community of designers that I enjoy um, hanging out with and seeing from time to time. And I'm part of several networking groups where we can all get together and talk about what we're seeing out there in the marketplace, but also um, in design as a whole. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's open, but it's like selectively open, meaning like we're all sort of still trying to navigate the waters of who's hanging out with who and what's happening where and who's working with who. And I'm constantly looking from a vendor standpoint for, um, those trusted partners, because since the city is growing so much and the, you know, you don't have to be a licensed contractor. You don't have to be licensed to be a contractor in the state of Texas, which blows my mind, but you know, people are popping up left and right saying that they can, you know, be one of our trusted um, partners and then are letting me down. So it's, it's navigating those waters too, is to finding those trusted partners. That, that actually, that blows my mind that you don't have to be a licensed contractor. Yeah. Yeah. Like you and I are contractors in the state of Texas. <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's scary. It blows my mind. It, yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, part of me, like, likes that you know we don't need to like regulate everything but like from a contractor standpoint i don't know it's a little terrifying <laughs> so from a standpoint of of resources what i guess it's always interesting the question for me do you have a design center do you have a central design district do you when it comes to specifying local um yeah. and from a central location do you do you have that no um, we don't. And, um, I don't know if I actually would want it to be honest with you because I don't even want to give my clients the option of seeing everything in person. Um, but I know we don't have it and it is severe. Like we definitely are lacking that. There are a few small, um, b boutique showrooms that carry like, um, very curated lines of fabric and, tile and other textiles and um, materials and they're from from a furnishing standpoint there's very few that we can call on um to even do like a sit test if we wanted to and so i've now sort of just made market a priority for me um to at least go to a market a year if not more to see and touch and feel we carry a pretty robust library within our office so that we don't really have to leave very often if we don't need to and we're we have a lot of our reps come by a lot and bring us stuff um, and i think they're used to doing that in austin now at this point because we don't have a spot we can go to for um, quick design inspiration in that regard so when you have a situation like this where you know you know, 
market is, I don't know if the next one's going to happen, but Salone is not happening. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything's getting, everything's getting canceled now. Yeah. Um, High Point got canceled, yeah. which I don't, I don't think I did. Well, they, I just got an email that they moved it to June 12th, I think it was. Okay. So but, it's, it's rescheduled. Yeah. But for like two days and like, I'm not going, I'm not flying to Greensboro for two days. You got to be kidding me. No way. No, that's too hard. Yeah. So when the events, you know, one series of events getting canceled isn't going to be the end of the world, but I've never seen anything cancel like this before. And the ones, the ones that still happen, it gets kind of difficult getting to them. Right. Are we almost to the point where specifying online, excuse me, specifying online and doing research online is more the norm now? I mean, I gotta say that, like, yes, uh, we do a lot online, and even though we can make it to market, we have the or like you know when we could make it to market, we have our trusted lines that we know we can fall back on again and again if we need to, or we have people who can make custom pieces for us if we need to. So you know what I tell clients because sometimes some will say like, well, how do I know it's going to be comfortable or whatever. I say to them, you know, like we've spent a lot of time researching, sitting, feeling like really learning about these partners we're recommending to you. And you have to trust us that we're giving you the best possible product. And, um, you know, 99 times out of 100, that is good enough for them. And that works. And everybody's happy. But um, I think we we are going to move more into that virtual space. And also, by the way, with like retail spaces being so expensive to operate, it's going to continue to move towards online and being able to trust what you just see and research and learn about on your own versus being able to touch it and feel it in advance. Uh, Yeah, no, no question. And you, you kind of touched on something that I find really interesting. I, I think, you know, having been, having been having, Having had these conversations with designers for so long, one of the things it's 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 really heartbreaking and and sad, and very frustrating at the same time too. You know, you're a, you're a creator, you're a creative person, right. you're an artist, and the trend with online has led to designers, uh, sorry, with clients not really understanding the true value of what designers do. For sure, which has led yeah. to you know contract issues and pricing issues and, and price model issues and how do I charge and how do I, how do I convey my true value? Right. Many clients don't see the value in the research. Right. And in the, in the curation process of unique and different products. I think you're, you're interesting in the sense that you have this or unique rather in the sense that you have this business background and yeah. you know, coming from TV and the agency community, where they have to sell value every day, yeah, and value changes every day, yeah. How do you approach that? Well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think um, my business background has sort of has led me to where I am in my business. Um, you know, our design firm is really young; we've only been around for three years, but. Um, because of that, but because my my business background, I think it's led to our success or our growth in that short period of time. I mean, I am a business person first, 
and a designer second. And um, I understand, you know, what needs to go into the business side of things more than anything else. And I'm almost at the point now with my business. Yeah, I want clients. And yes, I want them to understand my value. But I almost am like, this is what it is. And this is a luxury service. And if you're going to question my every move, then this isn't the right process for you. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, so standoffish about it. But I think because I've sort of given that sense to clients from the get go, they don't push back very often about um, pricing or even understanding the value of it, um, which we've been lucky with. You know, I hear other designers complaining all the time about them being shopped or um, the client not understanding, you know, why something costs whatever. And, and, you know, I'd be lying if I said that the most popular conversation that designers have is how to charge because it, it is like that's what we talk about all the time. How do we charge? Because there is no right answer. Um, what we have done from day one is we've charged a flat fee and that's how we've always worked. I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Um, and it's worked for us. And sometimes people get sticker shock and they go, oh, never mind. And that's OK, because they weren't our right client. Um, and I am constantly doing a dance of like, is this too much? Is this not enough? Um, and you know, you just have to value your time at the end of the day. And like my time is not worth nothing. I, my very first client paying client ever thought that I was just going to go shopping for her for free and not charge her for that time. And I thought, well, in what world do you think that that is normal? Even if I'm a baby brand new designer that I would just go shopping for you for free. Do you think I don't have a mortgage to pay and kids to feed. Like, come on. So I realized, like, it doesn't matter if I'm one month out of design school or, you know, 20 years out of design school. I need to charge what I think my time is worth, regardless of the amount of time I've been in the business. And how did you know to do that? How did you know what your value was coming out? And how do you know what your value is now? Well, I will say coming into it as a second career helped me with that because like I said, I had, I have a mortgage to pay. I have kids, <laughs> right? I, you know, this isn't, this isn't like fun time, 23 year old. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't like I had to make it work. And when I decided to leave my previous career, you know, my husband and I had to have a real long look at bills and finances and all that and say, okay, Let's give it a year and see if this is a thing. And if it's not after a year, then I'll go back to work and no love lost. Um, and if it is, then we'll just, you know, continue full steam ahead. And luckily it all paid off and it worked out. But I knew that even if I wasn't super experienced in, you know, quote unquote design, I still had certain financial goals I had to hit. So from the very beginning, I knew I had to charge for my time for what I thought it was worth. And, you know, now looking at it, I try to look at the marketplace and, and dictate that a little bit. Cause Austin, you know, a designer in Austin's not going to charge as much as a designer in Los Angeles probably. And, you know, there's different ways that we all charge with different product markups and fees and all that stuff. And it's a moving target for sure. Right now I found a formula that sort of is working for us. Um, but, you know, I'm constantly reevaluating that and thinking, you know, we're at a point right now where we're, we're stretched beyond our means. And do I want to hire more people or do I want to increase our fees and maybe take on fewer projects? So it's, 
it's a it's a dance that I'm I'm just constantly looking at and evaluating and cross-referencing it with overhead and all that good stuff. So at the time you so right now you and I are recording this yeah. during a very, very strange time. Yes. <laughs> and to say the least. Right? Yeah. With this this whole coronavirus thing, you know, to be honest with you, I'm so sick of talking about it already. I'm tired of turning I, on the TV and hearing about it. No, same. Yes. At the same time, I do I do a series of small gatherings with designers and architects to talk about the business. Uh, and I did one last week as we were leading into this before before you know they shut the city down and people weren't going anywhere. Right. And the topic that kept coming up was home as a safe place. And now that we're spending yeah. far more time in our homes, you know, the, the concept of home has changed. And th- this is this is the residential conversation, right? Not the commercial right. or the industrial design. For sure. This is the residential conversation. You know, we've seen so much in the last 10 years of design, 15, 20, where the, the formal living room, unless the houses are huge, right? The formal living has, has gone away. The, yep. the formal dining can go away to provide space for something else. I feel like we're at this moment in time where, especially when people are spending far more time in their home than maybe they an- anticipated, Right. Where it's changing again, <laughs> where it's right. kind of like the home, the home has to serve the inhabitant more than just being a, a pretty space and a good looking space and something that's well designed. It has to be more functional than it ever has right. before. You know, here, here yeah. don't you think? Oh, totally. And I mean, thankfully, that's the way I've always designed is, uh, you know, I go for uh, function and accessibility and um, livability above beauty almost. I mean, you, ha- you have to be able to live in the space. And as somebody with two little kids, I know that like, you know, you don't want to have to be scrubbing all day if your kid gets marker on your sofa. So um, yeah, I totally agree. I'll be, in- I'm really interested to see how this all will impact um, our industry going forward. I, I mean, I, my best guess is that it's it, it, there will be you know immediate impacts for sure. I think it's really going to impact us down the line um, in one to two years with our economy. But um, but I agree. I feel like it's almost like we're we're representing a sanctuary right now. You know, we we are the people who are um, are helping you know create those safe havens where if you have to spend all your time this is how I can look and feel and it's okay to invest there because you're going to be spending so much time there. Um, yeah, it is. It's a weird, weird, wild time. I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to pan out. <laughs> well, but that being said, I, I also feel like designers and architects are futurists that, yeah, you know, you can look part of the value again. And this is, you know, it's frustrating for me because this is not my first career. I have a background in in broadcast and brand development. And the brand development side of it, you always have to be looking down the road and you always have yeah. to see what's coming around that next right. turn because you have to be prepared for it. Right. And one of the, the frustrating things for me about designers in particular, I think architects do a better job at this because they're designing for 100 years, 50 years. They're not designing for five or 10. I think that 
designers should understand that part a huge part of that value is being able to predict you know what's happening and and be able to see uh, from a design standpoint how things are changing so you know that being said i've i've looked at some of your work and i, I absolutely love it there was a um i wanted to ask you about this the the kitchen yeah. the kitchen that you designed for is it ferguson yeah so Tell me how that came together, and it, because here's what I'm asking: you packed so much into one space. Yes, we did. Right? Because you we had did to have to pack a lot of stuff. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so when we, when we look at at homes now, when we look at residential pro- projects now, it's not about packing in as much as you can. I kind of want to lead this into designing for disaster, where yeah. you know when when you're stuck at home for two weeks, three weeks. And you have to be able to store things. The whole Marie Kondo thing made me crazy. Oh my gosh! Right, you and me both. Because people don't <laughs> like, people don't on. live that way. And and I guarantee you, everyone oh. everyone who who went uh, the whole Marie Kondo way, where you have nothing in your house, congratulations, you have nothing in your house, and you have no place no, to no, store it. No, no, they they've rehoarded everything else. Like it's, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a permanent solution. They will go back to their ways. <laughs> They're making furniture out of toilet paper now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but but in in all seriousness, the idea of being able to sort of redistribute space. And I wanted to ask you if it was a challenge designing that kitchen because you had to redistribute basically every square inch to put in an appliance. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really funny project that came about in a really um random sort of way. We were uh, as a team, we were invited to a like a Oh, gosh, it was an event at the Ferguson showroom that was like some guy from Top Chef was going to be cooking. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a Thursday night. Let's just go have a couple drinks and um, check out the space. And we went and we probably were overserved. Um, but the manager of the showroom came over and he was like, are you Sarah from Band Design? I was like, yeah, why? And he totally fangirled on us, which I thought was hilarious. That's awesome. That's a- it was awesome, but it was like, that never happens. Like, people aren't like, I saw you on Instagram, and I came and I found you. Like, it was just, it was cracking me up. And um, he's like, I got to show you this this one kitchen display we have. Isn't it awful? And I said, yeah, it is really awful. He's like, we're going to redesign it. Will you design it for us? And And I was like, sure, why not? Let's do this. And then you know, we had several meetings. It was, uh, it's the monogram and cafe appliance um, display in their showroom. And so we had essentially like two kitchens packed into one with two different looks and feels that we had to, you know, make way for, um, luckily we worked with a really great contractor who understood, um, layouts of cabinetry and uh, appliance and all of that very, very well. But, um, yeah, it was hard trying to cram everything in there, but still get some design elements in. And I think you see that in, um, the actual like textural things like we, you know, did like a live edge, um, uh, countertop, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Cat, like countertop where people sit at, um, the kitchen countertop. Um, but then it's next to the induction range. So like, there's a lot of elements that we threw in there and we do a lot in our design too. Like in our residential design, I love playing with textures and different, you know, wood and, grass cloth and all different like looks and feels and putting that all together into like bringing in those different elements um to mix it together which i think is a great way to like still 
hide and like cram a bunch of like storage and um, appliances, all of that, but <clears throat> still make it feel warm and beautiful and, um, and livable, you know, like you're not just slapping it all together. It's not a piece from Ikea that's just to hold all your shoes. So um, I think mixing in a lot of those different elements helps with that. Well, <clears throat> and I can see elements of that in your Lost Creek kitchen remodel. Oh, yeah. Which came yeah, first? Yeah. The Lost Creek Kitchen. That one was about a year before the Ferguson Kitchen. Okay, because I, I love yeah. that, too. And you you packed a ton into that yeah. space. Yeah, and that one was like, um, we were dealing with like a funky layout. And it's funny because um, that particular neighborhood has a bunch of houses um, that are really, it's, a, it's like all, all older custom homes. So everybody's remodeling them, but they all have like these really funky layouts from the eighties. Um, because it's a very hilly neighborhood too. So we were working with like the client had a view that they wanted to protect and be able to use, like, you know, um, utilize and enjoy. And then we had all these weird angles and we, we weren't like, you know, completely gutting and moving the house out or anything like that. So we had to work with a lot of funky angles and still get all of the storage needs that they had and space for their kids to sit and eat breakfast and cook and all that good stuff. So there were definitely a lot of challenges with that one, but, um, you know, don't underestimate the value of custom cabinetry because a lot of clients are like, no, I'm just going to change out the fronts of my cabinets and repaint them. We'll be good to go. And it's like, you don't understand how much you could be packing in by just changing a few of the elements on the inside behind the doors and behind the drawers. Um, and we, we push that a lot is, is really trying to customize the in, what's what you don't see what's behind the doors. Cause that really is where the storage comes into play. Oh my gosh. That's so true. And now, and, and I was going to ask you about this because you know, kitchen, kitchens are having a moment kitchens. Yeah. What's happening in the kitchen space is just phenomenal. So when you talk about customized cabinetry and the ability now, it's not just what you can put behind it, but it's what you can put in it, you know, with the, with the, the manufacturers and they're coming out with drawers for just about, they've come out with drawers for just about any, anything you can imagine now as, yeah. as a designer, that has to be so exciting for you. It is, but it's also overwhelming because I'm not somebody who likes to have a billion options. Like I don't need to customize it to the nth degree, but I do, I do love the choice and I do love the, um, the options that are out there for us right now and be, and really being able to customize it to whatever the client needs. And, um, and I tell clients that all the time too, when we sit down to, especially with kitchens or even bathrooms, when we're sitting down to start the process, I'm like, think about what you like to do. Are you a baker? Do we need to create vertical shelving for your baking sheets. Like think about these little things that maybe you wouldn't normally think about that can, that can, we can help you up the functionality of your space with it. So even in that last week kitchen, a big thing for her was having a place she could store and charge all of her devices. Well, we created a whole, you know, dry bar area where she could stow them away. You don't even see them in the photo because it's all inside drawers where they could just plug the kids iPads in their phones in and just push it away and not worry about it. I've noticed a lot of bathrooms in your work yeah. as, as well. I've lo I've noticed, um, again, you take that same approach where you're, you're putting a lot into a bathroom space, but it doesn't look crowded. Yeah. And I'm, well, and I'm, I'm 
and I'm curious sort of how you how you approach like I'm looking at a Jack and Jill where I can't see the yeah. whole thing but you've you've got a seating area you've got two sinks it's it look it could be a narrow space I can't really tell but you it was a really narrow space yeah. yeah you've packed a lot in there yeah yeah I mean I'm a um I'm I'm actually like a minimalist at the end of the day if I guess if we're putting labels on things I don't like stuff for the sake of stuff um, and so, you know, a big thing that I tell clients whenever they're saying they need storage or uh, they need more space to hide stuff, I also tell them, like, take a look at what you've got, though. Like, do you really need these things? And no, I'm not like telling them to Marie Kondo their lives, but I'm also kind of pushing them to think about the things that they're holding on to that maybe they don't necessarily need. Um, but again, we're thinking a lot about the insides of cabinetry, the storage needs there. And working with the spaces that we have, but then also creating um, functionality, like putting a seat where maybe a cabinet could normally go. But that's great for kids because they could sit there, dry off. They could, you know, wait for bath time, whatever, hang out with their friends, whatever they want to do, whatever kids do these days. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> whatever they do these days. Whatever kids, I don't know, whatever yeah. my tweens do. Right. But, um, but, you know, so it's it's thinking about day-to-day life and day-to-day function. And so it is cramming a lot, but <clears throat> I do want to make sure every every piece and every um, feature has a function. And we're not just doing it to add a bell and a whistle or to create the look of stuff. And I know that, like, maximalism is coming back and or is back and has a moment, but I just that's just not me. And I just can't get down with the stuff for the sake of stuff. Um I just, yeah. Let's talk about stuff for a second. So as a, as a designer, um, the idea of the line, the idea of the product, the idea of yeah. the, the brand extension, um, what, what's, what's on your radar? What's next for you? Like that I want to do or that I see coming down the line? Uh, you know what? Both. Um, I think from, from what, uh, our goals are as a business and for me personally, um, in the next one to three years, um, I love design and I love working with clients and I especially love our, our residential side of the business much more so than the commercial side. But, um, you know, I, I recognize too, that like, if I, I'm a, um, I'm a Gemini, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of crazy in that way. Like I'm both I'm both creative, but also very type A. And so I know that I need things to kind of move and change and can't always be the same. So I'm thinking about down the road. Yes, I want to have my design clients and and service them. But I also, how do I want to grow that business? And I think from my side of things, um, I see it as a three-headed monster for our business where we have our design clients. But I also would love to do product design and do more brand partnerships. We've done a few, but we're working on a few more right now. And I, I love working with those uh, different brands and, and promoting those brands, but then also, you know, um, having an outlet to share with my clients and my um, followers about different products that are out there and educating them. I love doing that. And then also um, we're looking at, you know, expanding into real estate and um, doing some higher end flips here in the Austin area and maybe beyond. So that's sort of like down the pipeline for us from a trend or product perspective or what I, we see kind of coming down. It's funny because I was at KBiz um, a couple months ago and I was walking around. I was only there for the day, but uh, I was walking around and talking to a couple different 
plumbing manufacturers and they're like, well, you got to come over here and see our matte black line of plumbing fixtures. And I mean, they must have seen me roll my eyes because three years ago <laughs> I was, I was hammering like, I want matte black. I want matte black. And nobody had it. And I put it in a couple places and then now I'm kind of like over it, you know, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, moving on. I still think it's great, but like as a trend, I'm like, meh, I'm over it now. And they're like, we have these brand new matte black lines. And I was like, of course you do three years after I really wanted that, like, come on now. So I think, um, for us, I'm really interested in, um, doing much more custom work, um, and focusing more on quality versus, um, the fast furniture trend. Um, I'm hoping, and I'm feeling like maybe that's going to sort of start to dissipate at least in my client base, they're starting to realize like, we don't have to design for having kids that might destroy our furniture. We can, we can buy nice things. It's okay. Um, and I have, you know, several clients, I have one friend in particular who was like, do you know, how much do people spend on a sofa or how much do people spend on a bed? And I say, I told her, I was like, girl, you are in your forties. It is time to move out of Ikea. It is time. <laughs> You're an adult. Let's do this. You know, I'm so tired yes. of people saying like that they're not going to wallpaper because what if in five years they don't like it? Well, who knows what you're going to like in five years? Like you're not going to like the jeans you bought yesterday in five years. Like just do it. Live for now, design for today, and don't worry about what you're going to like in five years, what your kids are going to do your, to your sofa in five years. Um, so I'm really, really hoping and pushing. And, and I, I do anticipate this will happen a little bit, especially with like, the trade tariffs and all that crap, plus all this Corona stuff and everything, you know, like how much are we going to keep importing? How much are we going to start making locally again? I don't know. Uh, That's an evolution that I'll be tracking pretty closely, but I'm just so tired of getting pieces that are just garbage. And, um, and I'm, I'm ready to like get rid of that out of my life. So um, yeah. What what is you bring up a, a bunch of really good points. What is the made in Texas environment like now? Um, you mean like stuff that's made locally? Uh, yeah, I mean, do you yeah. do you do you have local workrooms? Do you have local local trades that that you like to work with that are that are accessible? Be, because you you bring up a, a lot of points, and I think one in, in particular is yes, you could buy that IKEA sofa and buy the same IKEA sofa every two or three years when it gets destroyed. Nothing wrong yeah. with IKEA; that there's a place for it. But right. you could also invest in a really good piece and then recover it every few years or every ten years, right. rather, if that makes more sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, we do have a lot of local vendors we love. Um, and we, I do like to support them more than, than not, you know, if I can give them work and, um, try them out first, you know, I, I, I'm very much a trusting person and we get vendors who reach out to us all the time and I say, okay, let's give you a shot. And if it, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then we have a whole long list of other people we could try. Um, we have a mill worker we work with a lot, um, because of these, these homes that are built in Austin that are, you know, pretty much builder grade. A lot of the time we're adding a lot of architectural and custom elements through millwork a lot. So we give him a lot of business. Um, and he's great. Um, and we have a lot of people, especially in Austin who are willing to like push the creative boundaries a little bit and try some new stuff. So that's fun too. We have workrooms that do a lot of our upholstery and drapery. Um, and you know, in terms of custom built 
furniture that's been a little bit tougher for us to find. We've we've had we have a lot of great um, people who can build wood pieces for us, but um, in terms of upholstered pieces, that's been a little bit more difficult to find in Texas. Somebody that we can trust and and rely on. So, um, yeah, I mean, we do have a lot of people we work with that we like a lot, and I tell clients a lot the word custom may scare you because you think it's going to be expensive, but it, it may not be more expensive. It may be the same. It may be even less and it's going to last you a lot longer and you're going to get something that not everybody else has. If you're looking for something that everybody else has, then why are you calling me? Um, and I think they get that and, um, and they get excited to have something unique in their space that really tells their story and not just any story. I totally agree. And and speaking of of cost, you know, I've it, it's been this wildly fluctuating cost for things lately. What are you seeing from a from a from a client investment standpoint in design? You know, what what does a kitchen remodel yeah. kitchen refresh uh house redesign what are, what are the cost of things right now are you seeing are you seeing um standards no and i say that because in austin especially where things are so crazy in terms of people moving here and um you have people come from, coming from california and new york with these crazy budgets because they're used to spending so much and so these contractors or whoever else are getting, you know, dollar signs in their eyes. And so I would say that the quotes we're getting are so wildly ranging. And even for my, and I'll speak from my own experience, we're looking to remodel our house right now. And it's not a major remodel. It's a small remodel. And I've called on three contractors that I like very, very much. And I like their work very, very much um, to bid it out. And they have come back at, you know, one came in. $60,000 less than another. And it's like, what? I don't, I don't see how they can vary so much, but we see it all the time. And so, yeah, there's a general range and I can, t you know, when we get a bid back for a client, I can say, yeah, that's a pretty good bid. You should take it. Or that seems really crazy. I can, I can recognize that, but I'd say there's no, um, there's no through line and it is kind of all over the place right now, unfortunately. But from a design perspective, I've tried to say, I would say our, our pricing is, is fair for what we're providing. And, um, and I wouldn't charge otherwise. I, I, want, I don't want clients to feel like they're being taken advantage of. And I want them to be happy at the end of the day. And I always tell them we're not the most expensive, but we're certainly not the cheapest. And so, and that, and, and I'm okay being in that mid range. I don't need to be the most expensive designer in Austin. Um, so yeah, there are, you know, a kitchen remodel. I don't know. You, you can expect to spend anywhere from fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 up to $200,000. And I tell clients that, and I tell them, I know it's a big range, but there's so many factors that can play into that. Like how custom are we getting into the cabinetry? Are you getting top of the line appliances? Do you want every single, you know, kitschy doodad feature you know, thing, or is it just bare bones? What are we doing here? Um, one thing that we offer clients and just the general public that's on our website is a budget worksheet because so many times we ask clients what their budgets are and they give us, sometimes they don't give us a number and sometimes they give us a big round number that doesn't really make any sense. And I say to them, this may not make sense to you. Why don't you take this worksheet 
where it breaks down anything you would ever have to buy for a house, both from a remodel and furnishing standpoint, it gives you the low, medium, and high range of things. And you put it into a spreadsheet and you add up every single thing you want to do and how much you want to spend on it based on this worksheet. And there's your budget. And then they start to understand how much things actually cost and what, what's feasible for them and what's not. And I, and I think that's great. <clears throat> and at the end of the day, it's, it's all about the service, right? Yeah. It's about the service. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's about the service that's provided. And I think that's awesome. Listen, <clears throat> excuse me. Listen, this has been so much fun. I really do. So fun. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. A great Corona break. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, gosh. Let's just get back to work and stop thinking about this. I know. I'm ready. I'm ready for this to end. Uh, you, you and everyone else. I know, totally. Hey, listen, <laughs> be well, and we're all going to be okay. You o- as well. We're, thank you. We're all going to be okay on the other side of this. Yes. All yes. Right. Good luck. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Love this. Please subscribe to the show so you catch every episode of Lone Star House of Design and Convo by Design. Ask Alexa or Siri, say, hey, Siri, play Convo by Design. And she will. You can follow the show on the socials as well at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram. And check out the YouTube channel uh, for videos from some of your favorite episodes. Thank you for listening. And until next week, keep creating. Mm -hmm.